Inside Voices United. I want that song. I don't want to die. I want that song. I don't want to die. These are the stories behind the songs that we record in American prisons. Today, we're speaking with Reverend Liz Schellingerhout, rector at St. Clair's Episcopal Church in Blairsville, Georgia. I asked her to stop by our studios to talk about her initially reluctant path toward the ministry, her time spent in the Georgia prison system in Atlanta, and her experiences and insights into crime and redemption. Let's get some of the uh, business out of the way. Tell me your title and where you are. Okay. Um, I am the rector at St. Clair's Episcopal Church here in Blairsville, Georgia. Awesome. And how long have you been there? Almost nine years. So um, where are you from originally? Gosh, we moved around growing up. Um, Cincinnati, Lexington, Kissimmee, Florida, Orlando, Florida, mm-hmm. Gainesville, Florida. So mostly Florida. Yeah. We moved there when I was almost five. So. And now you're in Georgia. Yeah. What brought you up to Georgia? Um, my grandmother was born and raised in Atlanta. And um, Atlanta always felt like home since we'd moved around a lot. Um, Atlanta felt like home. So I moved to Atlanta after college and uh, started working and was there until I moved up here. Well... We're a music charity. Mm-hmm. We're very interested in music and uh, music roots. So was there music in your life growing up? There was always music playing. Yeah. My dad had a stereo that he built himself, and he always had a record on. And my favorite record um, was one that taught you the dif- different instruments, and it was Peter and the Wolf. Oh, yeah, sure. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah, and mostly classical music we and, played. And did you sing, you, in the, in the choir maybe, or um, with your friends in the Informally, car? Informally, in the car all the time. Yeah. Always singing along, but no formal singing. I do chant, though. Oh, yeah? A lot of services, yeah. So, so growing up, um, you know, in the 60s, 70s, or whatever, uh-huh. what were you listening to on the radio? Oh, whatever was on the radio. Yeah? Top 40 a lot of times, but... Yeah, whatever was on the radio. Can you remember your favorites? Oh, goodness. Favorites. Putting you on the spot. Let's see. Well, in the 60s, we were singing along with the Beatles. In the 70s, I don't know. Fleetwood Mac, Eagles. Fleetwood Mac, Eagles, yeah. Roberta Flack, we were just talking about Roberta Roberta Flack Flack before we started this. Roberta Flack, yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, So here's this journey, and it brings you up here to Georgia, what brought you into the ministry? Tell me how your path led sure. into the ministry. Um, I can remember being in high school. I was old enough to drive, so I was on a particular road when I felt called to the ministry. Mm-hmm. And I immediately said, women don't do that. This was in the 70s, 76 mm-hmm. probably, 77. Um, that's a silly idea. You can't do that. Yeah. And so I put it aside for... A long time and right after college kind of had that nudge again and went through some discernment processes and decided it wasn't the right time and mm-hmm. so mid 40s I was ordained is that right or close to 50 I guess yeah well as we sometimes yeah. talk about you know when our paths diverge from mm-hmm. the direction we go left instead of right was there an aha moment it was like, now's the right time. What told you it was the right time? 
There were a couple of things. I was working for somebody at the American Cancer Society, the national office, and um, I had had my second child and was going to stay home for a little while. And I said, you know, you know me really well. What do you see me doing? And his answer was really interesting. This is from an agnostic, maybe atheist, former Catholic. He said, well, I think you should either be a minister or you should um, write a newspaper column. And I said, well, I'll think about the newspaper column, but I'll never be a minister. Really? (laughs) And then somebody not too long after that, totally different context, said, have you ever thought about being a priest? And so when my mom said something on top of that, I thought, okay, we'll look at this again. Interesting. (laughs) That's very interesting. Sometimes it comes out of the blue. Yeah. I had dinner with a friend. I I never thought that I would teach. And uh, 30-some-odd years ago, I was having dinner with uh, some couples at a table, and one of the guys turned to me, and and we were talking about something. I I, I don't even remember. Not not important to this story, but but he said, have you ever thought about teaching? And I said, you know, in the back of my mind, I have. And he goes, you'd be a really good teacher. It's interesting. It sometimes takes other people to see see what is in us. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly what happened. So there are so many venues for a person of faith. Mm-hmm. What brought you? Let's let's talk about the prisons a little bit because okay. that's what we do here. Um, what brought you to the prison, or what got you thinking about it, or what started so we, that? Um, when you're in seminary, most denominations require something called CPE, which is clinical pastoral education. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do that in the setting of a hospital because that's a lot of a minister's role is to go visit people in hospitals. But I was an older student. I grew up in a family with a lot of elderly people. People just live until their mm-hmm. 90s. And I had seen a lot of people in hospitals, was real comfortable with hospitals. And mm-hmm. I thought, I want to do something that I don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. So one of the options was to work in the prison. It was the Metro State, Metro State Prison for Women in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So I chose that and worked for a summer, three months, with the chaplain there in the chaplain's office. And it was, I, t- I was talking to a friend of mine today about it. He and I both did it. And we both agree it was a life-changing um, opportunity and, and experience. Hmm. What surprised you the most about going into a prison, preconceptions? And then what surprised you the least? I think one of the most surprising things was that it was, there was no color anywhere. Hmm. It was a, a very bland, building brick building and everybody wore khaki jumpsuits and um i just don't think i'd ever been in a situation for hours on time on on end with no color and nothing Mm -hmm. interesting to look at and so it was it was depressing just to walk in there Mm -hmm. even you know even if you didn't know what it was right uh, I've heard people talk about the first time they, they and I have people on my staff who have come in mm-hmm. with me, and I've been in so many prisons now, um, but um, for people who I bring in the first time, it just happened this past weekend, hmm. brought someone in who had not been in the prison before, yeah. and um, they looked around and said, wow, you know, as soon as that door, g-doom, you yeah, know. Yeah, it's a yeah, loud noise. <laughs> yeah, you, you go between like little you go in the main gate and then that closes before the next one will open then you go into another thing that has to close and you go through three or four of those before you're inside yeah and then you're inside 
But do you still have to bring a clear plastic bag with everything you have in it? If you if uh, they just don't want you to bring anything. Yeah. Right. So, but yeah. But if you bring lunch or that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. They don't. They don't even want you to bring that. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, what we do is we we do bring in stuff though. Mm-hmm. When we go in, when we go in, sometimes we'll play music, and so, you know, as, as yes, in. Yeah, yeah, we everything comes in a big case, and I. You know, weeks before we go in, I send them a list of absolutely every tiny little thing in the mm-hmm. case. Um, as I'm sure you remember, you know, going through that training before you even step foot in the mm-hmm. prison, you know, they talk a lot about contraband. And oh, yeah. Things you, you know, and every, know. anytime there is a rule that's broken, it becomes, or anytime somebody gets away with something, it becomes a new rule. Yeah. Yeah. That's and there, true. it's rule upon rule upon rule upon rule upon yep. rule. Yep. And that's, that's one it's of really the. It's really hard to navigate. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I found when I went in, um, and I'm wondering about your experience, where um, part of what you deal with is a population that is so, you know, ingrained with the rules, and I, I often think about, I, wrote, I raised two boys, hmm. and their job as small boys was to find the edges of the rules. You know, <laughs> of course. You can't have a cookie before dinner. Okay, so let's look at that, Dad. <laughs> is it three hours before dinner, you know, it's, is it okay a cookie then, and... So I'll say, yeah. Which three dinner hour- on which day? Exactly, exactly, <laughs> right, right. So three hours for dinner, yes, that's the new rule. And then two hours for dinner, you know, they, the next week they're like, how about two hours? And they keep pushing it, little things <laughs> like that. And I've often found that, you know, inside prisons as well. But um, um, did you ever fear for your safety when you were in there? No, never. Why? Because um, it's, it's a It's a really place. interesting question. Um... There were a lot of guards around, that, but that's not the primary reason. I, I think I, I really felt that most of the women at least respected the office of the chaplain. The office of the chaplain had lots of goodies to give away. Mm-hmm. So you walked through the halls with a little bit of um, attention from folks. Mm-hmm. Um, you could get shampoo. You could get soap for the inmates. You could give them lotion, conditioner, things that... If you don't have money and you don't have people on the outside, you can't buy at the store. Um, we could also give away phone calls, and those were more valuable than anything else. Because, hmm. again, if you don't have any money and you don't have anybody putting money into your account, you can't even make a local phone call. Hmm. And so um, if an inmate had a really good reason to call home or call a loved one and they had proof of it from a letter or something like that, then we could give them a phone call. Mm. So I didn't know. I never felt, you know, maybe that was naive, but no, I never felt unsafe at all. Mm. No, I understand that. I, yeah. I, I, How about you? I never, yeah. never, I ne- never yeah. felt unsafe. Yeah. Never. Um, I, I used to tell the other members of my staff who had not gone in yet, and, you know, they would pepper me with questions before the first visit in. You know, what about, you know, aren't these dangerous criminals? And I'm saying, yeah, that, that, absolutely. Some of them are. Some of them written bad checks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, <laughs> It's and what, a real mix. It is, it is. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I tell them, which is you never yeah. know. But one of the reasons that we at, and our charity work uh, in prisons and not in jails is I want to work with people who are going to be there a while because mm-hmm. it's a totally different mindset. Yeah. And if you translate that to music, it's a totally different song. Hmm, you know, interesting. Because, yeah, I bet it is. Yeah, because jail is, is, you know, one week to two years, roughly. It depends on the state. And then j- prison is two years to life or whatever. Well, what's interesting is that people who come to prison come from jails, right? From yes. county jails. Right. 
and they are at various stages. Some people have been in their county jail long enough to almost complete their sentence, and they come to the prison, and then they're almost released because they've finished their sentence. Some people have been in the county jail for such a small amount of time that they're still high when they get there. Mm -hmm. You know, and and so the disparity in the system is, that's just the beginning of the system, right? The disparities go all the way through it. Yeah. And our experience with our charity is I'd, I'm, again, talking with staff members who would ans- ask me about these things before they go in for the first time. And I would always say I'd, I'm the safest person in the prison because, like you, I'm yeah. Santa Claus. Right. I, uh, right. I, you're giving out shampoo and stuff. And they actually, the chaplain at this prison we went mm-hmm. to over the weekend actually had a raffle in the middle of our seminar and said, okay, I've got four clear bags of shampoo and a yeah. little plastic loofah. And I'm thinking of a number from 1 to 10, and there were 15 or 1 to 100 or something, uh-huh. and the one who got close got the back. Wow. And so he, yeah. he gives away the, what you yeah. call the goodies, and, yeah. and what I'm giving away is music and mm-hmm. you know that sort of connection. But this is the parallel I wanted to draw with you mm-hmm. because the thing that I give them through music is a kinship and understanding between um, musicians because we're all just musicians at that point. Mm-hmm. And... Talk a little bit about, you know, in the ministry, you're, you're forming a kinship with something they already know, their relationship to God. Mm-hmm. And so you immediately have a connection to them, I would guess. Yeah, and a sense of, um, well, you know, it's interesting. There's a whole variety of faith journeys, we'll call them. Good. And I want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you have people who um, are in a position of trying to bargain with God. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to be right now, I'm going to do good now, I'm going to do all these things, and, you know, I, you need to come through for me in parole, and parole, with a parole board, and then the parole board says no, and then they're beating themselves up and wondering why God hates them, and so part of the role is to say, you are a beloved child of God. Mm-hmm. You know, the worst thing you've ever done is not the totality of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian Stevenson, I don't know if you know who he is, he's mm-hmm. um, founded the Equal Justice in- mm-hmm. Initiative. That's right. That's that's something he says, and it's so true that people, um, regardless of what they've done, are still human beings and still beloved by God, through and through. And so you try to get that across to people. I remember one woman asking me, well, "When did you get saved?" And I said, "From the foundation of the earth." <laughs> 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 that just you know that sense that God creates us and God loves us. And sticks with us. So there's that transactional. There's that religion, transactional religion, religion. Mm-hmm. and then there's. And then there's there are the people who were going through a program out of the Episcopal Church ca- called Education for Mem- Ministry (EFM). And so, um, that's a commitment, a four-year commitment. You read the New Testament, the Old Testament. You read about um, present-day theologians, and you read church history. And it's rigorous. It's a lot of lot of work, a lot of reading. And so that that was a group of people who took their faith seriously and were trying to grow spiritually and trying to figure out who they were in relation to God. So you had that whole spectrum. And then you had people, of course, who, like, you know, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. I don't believe all that stuff. So yeah. The, 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 it's sort of the same. It's a microcosm of the world, right? Yeah. In some ways. And there's also... Um you and I talked about this off mic. Um, a jailhouse Jesus, did you mm-hmm. call it? 
Talk about that a little bit because that's that's another kind of religion. Yeah, and it's similar to the transactional one, right? Where, you know, I'm going to be religious because it's going to look good for me and I'm going to maybe get something out of this that I can use. You know, a lot of people in there are used to manipulating things. Um, And as you say, a lot of people are in there. Most, almost everybody's in there for good reason. Yeah. Um, So that's that, you know. I'm going to do everything to my advantage, but let's put it on religion. Let's yeah. put religion around us now. Yeah. Use the right words. Yeah. Maybe I'll get a phone call from the chaplain's office. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I also find, um, found that some of the, the jailhouse Jesus stuff that you and I were talking about was uh, for protection because everything in prison, at least what I've been able to observe, is about survival, mm-hmm. getting through the hour, getting through the day, getting through the week, getting through the year, getting through your time. And if you are, and there are very strong groups um, of religion, you know, Mm -hmm. and there are people who are very, there's a group over here that doesn't believe at all, and they're very agnostic or atheist. And then there's the really religious group over here, and there's a sort of religious group here. And at least you have protection from various people, you know, don't mess with my girl or my guy, Mm because, you know, he's in our our group, and so Mm -hmm. and so. Did you find that as well when you were? Um, a little bit, not so much in terms of the religious aspect, but there were women who really looked after other women, mm-hmm. and um, and then there were the groups that were destructive and scary to some of the other women. So you know, really ran the whole gamut. Yeah. Is there forgiveness and redemption behind bars? Um, we take people who've made a mistake maybe they've made multiple mistakes and it's you know there's a wide range and some of it's horrendous I mean some of it is really horrendous but we throw them in a situation for example if you take the the woman who's coming from the county jail and she's been in there a couple days and she has no way to detox she's thrown into prison and she's detoxing on her own Mm -hmm. she has no help she has no medication she has no assistance whatsoever and then we're expecting, and then she gets treated terribly mm-hmm. in, in prison by, a lot of times by the guards, but by other inmates. Um, and they know that people look down on them. Um, and then we're expecting that same woman to get out again. We give her $25, put her by a bus station. And where's she going to go? She has to go back to where she came from. Mm-hmm. She has no resources. And so it's just a vicious cycle. So redemption... In the system, no. We don't. We just don't seem to have any use for people who make mistakes. And in the brief time you were there, did you see uh, redemption, uh, religious redemption, or or um, did someone suddenly, you know, they talk about. We talked a little bit about jailhouse Jesus and people mm-hmm. finding God, and and it seems to be a place, at least through my experience, prison seems to be a place where. Um, you know, if you're not religious, you certainly are going to have that discussion with yourself because there's nobody else around right. and God is there, uh, you know, and you talk to God or, and there are other people around you who tell you that, you know, I've made it through only because, you know, so-and-so. And that was the other kind of redemption I was talking yeah. about. Did you see examples of that? Yeah. Um, I'll give you one example. There was a, a young woman, I, I would say she was around 30. Mm-hmm. She had killed somebody when she was 14. Mm-hmm. She'd been in the system ever since, and she was she was just a delightful person. Um, 
she was part of the, there was a dog training program where they were training um, service dogs. Yeah. And she was part of that program, really proud of that. And she was getting ready to be released when I was getting ready to end my summer there. And she said, you know, everybody says that prison's bad. She said, but prison saved my life. Really? Mm-hmm. That is a great story. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, so I think there, there's redemption and conversion of heart there. And, um, you know, what part religion played in it, I don't know. But I have, to, I, I have to believe that God is part of that. Of course. Yeah. It's in your job description. It is. It's right, th- it's right there in your title, as I <laughs> recall. Is. Right. Um, and have you heard, do you hear from um, released inmates? We're not, we weren't allowed to be in touch. Okay. Yeah. It's the same with us. Same yeah. with us. Yeah. Yeah. But every once in a while, we do get an email. And um, we've been After advised. After somebody's gotten out, yeah, or yeah. yeah, I mean, we're a public website. Sure, yeah. And uh, That's a you big know, difference. Yeah. quite often uh, uh, when we're there inside, uh, people will ask us for, um, you know, have you got a card? Have you got mm-hmm. a phone number? And you know, we we don't put a phone number and we don't put mm-hmm. an address um, mm-hmm. on the on the website. Right, because I mean, that is a safety thing as yeah, well. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But you know, uh, if people. On the outside, do want to get in touch? They can. There's an email address there, and so yeah. every once in a while we do hear. And I, I have, um, you know, different people told me different things, but I mean, common sense says, um, you know, the human thing to do is at least to acknowledge the email and say, "Hey, so glad you're out, and good luck to you, and off you mm-hmm. go." You know, mm-hmm. uh, part of part of my issue is that there aren't enough hours in a day right. that I have my own flock to tend to. And I'm guessing it's somewhat the same for you. Yeah. I mean, you could spend the, the rest of your time with one person. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, you give them 25 bucks in a bus station. And um, and you're going to reach out to anybody you can. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so the world is full of miracles. Yeah. Did you see any miracles in prison? Well, just the, the human spirit, I think, is miraculous. And just those layers that people put on, on top of themselves. There was a woman who stands out to me um, still today, and she was older than me, maybe by 10 years at that time, I'm guessing. But a lot of people age, you know, when they've had a rough life, they age um, quickly, more quickly. Um, She was somebody who kept badgering me for a phone number, and what I did is I had a little notebook, and I carried around, and I'd write the person's name down in a list, and they were on the list, and, and I'd say, you know, you need to make, you need to tell me why you need to make that phone call mm-hmm. and you need a letter from a relative or you need, you know, whatever. So she kept after me most of the summer and for some reason I could not remember her name. Mm-hmm. And she intimidated me a little bit. She was she had a real hard exterior yeah. on her, a real rough, rough, tough woman. And um, so I said, tell me your name again. And she said, you need to know my name. You need to know my name. You know, I matter is what she was saying to me. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and so finally she had something that she did. I, I can't remember what the circumstance was. Maybe her mother was ill or something. But So I said, come on, let's go make a phone call. Hmm. And we called her mother. And in a matter of moments, she was a little girl ca- crying to her mother. She was in her mother's arms as much as she could be. Yeah. And that was life-changing for me that was that i'm the one that that saw the most change because i didn't stay long enough to get to know people really well but you can't judge a person by how they act or look or 
yeah. any of that. There are there's so many layers to all of this. That's a great story. I could tell you half a dozen stories off the top of my head. Yeah. Same thing, where it's yeah. there's that tough bark, yeah, that tough exterior, well, which that is survival, survive, right? That's, that's exactly it. And yeah. then, but then there's that moment. Yeah. where they cry or something oh, yeah. that happened Just, uh, the, this past weekend the, um, one, one of the women cried and it's because and I've done this enough now that I've seen it but it's very similar to your story which is that it's the first time they feel like a human being yeah first time they and, feel like, and it may be and it's not maybe not even prison related it may be mm-hmm. a lifetime of not feeling mm-hmm. worth anybody's time or um, n- no recognition that you're a human being yeah the prison certainly reinforces that. It does. It give you a number, it a lot. Give you a number and not a name. Yeah. Um, I realize that your experience in prison was brief. Mm-hmm. It was for a summer, mm-hmm. you said. Yeah. But in that moment of that summer, um, were there people that you think about even today? Yeah, there are. Um, we had, there were two times that the whole prison was shut down. Mm-hmm. And one was when an inmate who was on death row um, or had been sentenced to death row. She executions happen in Jackson, mm-hmm. um, not at the women's prison. So anytime there was movement, she needed to go to the infirmary or anywhere else. The whole place shut down. She was shackled. She was taken where she needed to be and taken back. So in solitary confinement, and she was a little bit of a celebrity um, mm. in the in the prison. That was one time, and then the other time was when a seventeen year old was brought to prison because she was getting ready to turn 18. Mm. And so as a 17-year-old, as a minor, she needed to be escorted and the whole prison shut down. So you could just see from windows, you know, this young girl walking. And she had, she needed to be in prison. She killed her cousin, I think it was. Mm. Um, and her family was from up north and they came down for some family something and she killed her cousin. Um, but on two days later, when she turned 18, she was part of the population overnight, mm-hmm. one day difference. And um, I was worried about her. I talked to her mother, and her mother was like, well, you've got to make sure that she has her medication for ADD, and they've got to make sure she has this and that and that. And I got off the phones, and the guards were laughing. She ain't going to get any of that stuff, mm-hmm. none of it. And I thought when I was talking to her mother, you have no idea, but... Your daughter's wearing a jumpsuit that says property of the state of Georgia. And she was in New York. She couldn't move down here. Mm. She couldn't see her daughter. Mm. It's awfully young to lose contact with a child. Well, thank you for joining us and uh, being part of our podcast. Um, Yeah, enjoyed it. Thank you. Reverend Liz Schellingerhout, rector at St. Clair's Episcopal Church, in Blairsville, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about Inside Voices United and find out how you can donate, go to our website, Inside Voices United, one long word, dot O-R-G. Drop us a line and let us know how you feel about our project. But perhaps the most important thing you can do is go to our website and give a listen to the songs produced inside the walls. And in the words of the poet, they shall be forgotten no more. Our podcast is produced by Inside Voices United. Our field producer is Bob Duncan. Our field engineer is Byron Childs. Our operations manager is Ruth Hudson. I'm your host, Greg Smith. And this is Inside Voices United. I want that song. I don't want to die. I want that song.
died on a dog. 